From deep in the heart of Texas, it's time to chain fires from freedom with another episode of the Clover Tack Podcast. Listen in as we have a conversation with people from the firearm industry and community. Are you ready for the show? We are too. Let's go. What's up, crew? It is April the 6th, 2023. Time for another Clover Tech podcast brought to you, powered by, of course, our good friends at MTM Case Guard. Uh, and you're highly encouraged to go check out all the cool stuff over there, mtmcase-guard.com. Uh, and when you go over there and check out the storage solutions, the archery stuff, the shooting tables, the shooting rest, and everything else they have over there at MTM Case Guard, you can use code CLOVERTAC. That's going to save you 10% if you decide to pull the proverbial trigger, the metaphorical trigger uh, on something over there. So uh, keep that in mind. We've got uh, Toby with Cape Gunworks sitting in the back back there patiently waiting. Going to bring him in here shortly. We're going to have a, uh, a pretty good conversation. Uh, so if you're joining us live, then if you've got questions for Toby about Cape Gunworks, about uh, rapid fire radio, about anything else, uh, I don't know, on topic, let's just say, right? Throw them out there in the live chat. Also, remember, if you're joining us in replay, the video, the audio world, wherever it might be, odds are there's a comment section down below. And you can always participate down there uh, in those comments. So if you do leave a live comment, Uh, Be patient. I'll flag it uh, and we'll uh, get to it. I don't want to disrupt the flow of the conversation. I also want to say a big shout out, big thanks to the uh, Patreon patrons, the YouTube channel members, those that super chat, those that super thanks, those that shop clovertech.com slash shop. uh, And also proud to be uh, a member of the, as we talked about earlier, the Rapid Fire Radio Network, as well as the Primes Radio Network. Uh, Lots of cool podcasts and creators and talent in both of those and also proud to be a member of the professional outdoor media association or palma yes my camera is glitching not a whole lot i can do about that uh once we get through next week and the nra annual meetings and stuff like that uh, i think i'm just gonna have to buy a new cam which sucks because this one is not but a couple of weeks old but i think that the cable on it i think the cabling is jacked up um i don't know until then we'll deal with it so uh, I do know it is flickering, so if you try to let me know out there in the chat, well, I know. Trust me, I know. So let's get Toby in the house. How are you, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Clover. I appreciate it, and uh, glad to be here. You bet, man. I'm, I'm happy to have you on. Uh, uh, mutual friends uh, of gun websites, G-Webs out there. I know you've uh, been on and joined him on some lives in the past, so but we've never had a chance to actually sit down and have a conversation. So should be a lot of fun. I uh, want to give you uh, want to give you a few minutes here. You can obviously take your time. I mean, we got the better part of an hour here. Um, and for those that may not be familiar with you, with Cape Gunworks, with all the different projects, and we'll break all of that down and we'll get into some more specifics, I'm sure, moving forward. But uh, just give us a, a quick overview, if you would, about uh, what all is Toby involved with here. Yeah, sure. Great. Thanks for uh, having me again. I'm happy to be here. And uh, I'm Toby Leary. I'm co-founder of Cape Gunworks in Behind Enemy Lines in Massachusetts. We have a state-of-the-art indoor five-star rated, uh, NSSF five-star rated uh, indoor shooting range and retail pro shop, as well as a training facility. So we do a lot of um, 
we do a lot of you know firearms training and instruction mm-hmm. private lessons classes etc and that all stemmed out from a dream uh, probably dating back 20 years really uh, from when I was 18 years old and I used to frame houses with a guy who was a kitchen table FFL if you will and uh, he kind of ignited the passion of firearms uh, in my life again uh, even though I had that passion since I was in the Boy Scouts when I was 12 13 years old um, but basically uh, went on a business trip with a lifelong friend out to Vegas and we went out to front site which is now something else I don't even know what it is uh, for a two-day handgun course and uh, we had a really good time and we were like we need to import this business model to Massachusetts because there's nothing like it in Massachusetts and the people need it and I had been trying to talk to my uh, boss who I was framing houses with who was kind of the kitchen table FFL dealer when I was 18 19 years old and I told him hey man let's do this we could open an indoor range and a gun shop and a retail facility etc and he had no interest in doing it it was like you're crazy you can't do that in Massachusetts you're nuts and uh but it was churning around in the background of my head for the next 15 years and finally yeah we just celebrated our sixth anniversary at the uh new location the retail range training facility location and uh this july will be nine years since we opened the gun store so okay yeah we're pretty happy to celebrate all that so so it was 15 years from idea to to opening the door wow yeah i guess so i mean um it might have even been longer uh i haven't really done the math but yeah i would say 16 15 16 years right the concept to inception <laughs> i don't feel so bad i've been talking about uh you know, I, I work through, you know, one of the local gun shops here. It certainly helps as a creator with getting things in for reviews and other things, you know, being friends with uh, with folks at a gun shop. And I, I've threatened for the longest time now. It's probably been at least four or five years myself that I'm like, yeah, you know, I really should just open a shop. And then, you know, that's that would save me a trip from having to go there and I could receive things in here. And that would give me access to uh, to some used firearms some different uh, law enforcement auctions and other things that happen around here and i just i just keep putting it off and putting it off so i'm I'm glad to hear that you could actually put it off for a very long time and still make it happen so that's that's good hopefully that will send you some hope (laughs) right 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 well you know to be honest it was actually something like i was hoping someone else would do it like I was really like, this is a business model that's been proven throughout the country. It's, you know, it's everywhere in Florida. And that's where I got the idea when I was 16, actually. So I guess technically it goes back even further than that. So uh, when I was 16, I went to Florida, my family, and I went to this place that had a gun range and a pro shop. And it was really uh, primitive by what, the standards are today but it, i thought it was the greatest thing since sliced bread and i'm like this place is awesome like we need to do this out in massachusetts and 
I was hoping like my boss would do it, who already had the FFL. He already knew what was at stake. He already knew how to run a gun store per, uh, per se. And I was just hoping someone else would do it. Right. But no one else did it. So it was like, all right, you're the last guy with this dream and the standing. And, and uh, if you want it done, you better roll up your sleeves and do it yourself. You know, and that's a great story because I think the vast majority of people, I think that's, I think that's human nature is, ah, somebody else will do it. Oh, I'm going to wait for somebody else. I'm gonna let somebody else start this. Right. It's right. kind of like the, kind of like the junior high dance, right? You remember those <laughs> things where everybody stood along the wall and waited for the first person to get out there and actually start to dance, you know, right. and once, yeah, once that sure. ice, once that ice was broken. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty neat. Now, when, as far as the hesitation on doing it, um, was there any research during that time where you were thinking, I mean, did you, did you know, I guess what I'm saying is when you, let me rephrase this, when you had the idea of doing this and you were thinking, okay, we need to bring this to, to Massachusetts. Um, was the regulations, the legislation, all of the other things that you have to deal with in, in Massachusetts, was that a big, as big a deal back then as it was now? And was that a consideration that you made during that time? Yeah, it was, it's kind of like looking at the glass half full or half, half empty. Like the guy I worked for was like, this is Massachusetts. You don't do stuff like this in Massachusetts. It doesn't happen. Like get a clue, dude. This is where you live. It doesn't happen. Meanwhile, I'm going, that's precisely the reason why it needs to happen because it's Massachusetts and you don't do this. And yes, it's always been very um, hard as far as, you know, gun ownership or uh, firearms ranges or firearms retail operations are concerned. So I didn't expect it to be a walk in the park. I expected it to be an all out fist fight, bloody brawl to try to bring it to fruition. Mm-hmm. And um, I figured that would make it all the more worthwhile was the fact that we actually got that done. And the funny thing is the local town where we operate didn't fight us. They kind of rolled out the red carpet almost because they had closed down the only public range on Cape Cod for environmental and conservation and insurance reasons. And so they were hoping to deflect some of the ire that was directed at them and say, hey, guys, don't worry. I know you don't have a place to shoot yet. However, these guys over here have a great vision for an indoor shooting facility. And, um, you know, that just kind of fell on our lap as a fortuitous bounce, if you will. But it was really um, uh, not something we were excited about. I'm like, hey, I'm opening this place whether or not the public range is open or shot. This has nothing to do with this issue. Although I, you know, people were like, oh, I bet you're glad the public range closed. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm actually really upset. I was a member and I, right. I wish I, I, I think it's bad when access to shooting ranges close. I don't think it's good. Even though financially I stood to gain more by it being closed, I guess, than than if it uh, was to stay open. But I'm like, to this day, there's still a fight in the town system about reopening that range. 
And I, I support reopening it. I'm like, yeah, reopen it. It's 25 bucks a year. Heck yeah, sign me up. You know, and people are like, oh, I bet you're glad it closed. I'm like, no, I'm not. It's, you know, I, I get that I have a financial interest in it staying closed, but I will be the first one to stand up at town hall and say, you need to reopen this public range right. because I think it's good for the 2A. It's good for, uh, you know, the Second Amendment community. But um, so that was one of those things that, I think made it so the town would roll out the red carpet for us, or they did roll out the red carpet. They already were under serious scrutiny and serious uh, heat, if you will. Uh, so they had to try to deflect that and say, hey, don't worry, there's hope coming. And um, But, you know, at the end of the day, they still did us dirty as gun owners, and uh, right. they need... But the funny thing is, even though the permitting process and the, the preliminary planning process went very well, they tortured us on the back end right before we opened. So, you know, uh, well, I was going to, I was going to ask what, you know, what was the process like? I mean, the, obviously they roll out the red carpet there, but you know, you're, you're still dealing with, I'm sure state agencies, you're dealing with uh, federal agencies. And what I was going to ask was in Massachusetts, as far as opening, you know, becoming an FFL, opening that brick and mortar, opening that range. Um, is there anything different that you're aware of in Massachusetts than let's say Texas where I'm at, right? Or, you know, some other state or there state specific things that you had to concern yourself with or worry about? Yes. There's a lot of state specific things. One is the dealer that I was talking about that I worked for in the, in the carpentry business or the building business, uh, that kitchen table FFL is a thing of the past in Massachusetts. That is no go zone. Okay. So they changed the law so that you had to be commercially zoned and a retail operation. You couldn't wow. just be doing it for, you know, uh, out of your house. Right. So, so they changed that. They closed a lot of those home-based businesses in Massachusetts. Then we have something that is very specific to Massachusetts called the approved weapons roster. It's there's three other two other states I think that have this. California's one, and I, I think uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's uh, Maryland or New York or someone like that or Cal uh, Connecticut that has a approved weapons roster as well. Um, and that basically means we can't sell any handgun we want. It has to be on a certain list that proves it's been tested and, you know, meets their criteria. So that was another hurdle we had to jump through. Then it's town by town ordinance as far as like zoning and whatnot. Oh, yeah. So, so we were lucky because when we first opened, we opened in my woodworking shop, uh, which was probably one of the more liberal zoning uh, areas of the town. It was zoned for retail operations. So we were able to, uh, and the, the building inspector said, you, you don't have a right of the zone. So you, you can't open a gun store here. And we're like, uh, yes, we can, because there's retail operations all up and down the street. And he said, but the code doesn't say specifically gun stores. And I said, well, it doesn't specifically say shoe stores. 
yet here we are with right. two shoe stores. So, you, you know, yeah. I had to get a lawyer involved and have him write a letter and wow. he finally signed off on it. But, um, and we opened in my woodworking shop in the closet under the staircase uh, going up to the second floor. And uh, I tell the story a lot, but uh, to this day, like if you walk in that closet, like all the shelves say like nine millimeter, 40, 45. <laughs> and it's just our, you know, some old bookkeeping stuff now, but uh, it was literally a closet. So when we got our ATF inspection, he's like, where are you opening the gun store? I said, in that closet over there. And he's like, oh, okay. It's got a lock on the door. Yep. Okay. You're good. <laughs> so the ATF part was easy, but the town, we had to roll up our sleeves a little bit. Um, and then we opened, uh, once things started rolling, we opened a retail gun store like across the parking lot from my woodworking shop because a bank vacated the premises. And so we walked over and talked to the owner and said, hey, is this available for lease? And he said, yeah. He said, I'd love to lease it to you because the bank is actually paying the lease for the next 24 months. So anyth anything I can do now is gravy. And, oh. uh, and so we got a real low rent and uh, we moved right in and opened up within 30 days once we got the FFL moved uh, from one address to the other. Um, we opened up and uh, that was July 5th, 2013. So uh, yeah, nine years, well, 2014, excuse me, July 5th, 2014. So it'll be nine years this July. Now, when, when you moved into the, the newer building, did, did you immediately expand into okay we're not just selling but now we're gunsmithing okay we're going to do the range now or was all of those parts and pieces a gradual thing well when we moved across the parking lot to the to the mom and pop gun store i'll, I'll call it um the first location that was because we couldn't sell the dream to a bank of what we ultimately wanted to do we wanted to have the retail, the range, and the training facility all under one roof. Right. And I went in and pitched to a bunch of banks, and they're like, yeah, so you're telling me you don't have a single customer. You want millions of dollars, and you're going to do this in Massachusetts. Uh, come back in a couple of years, son, when you get a clue. And so, and so I realized, okay, we need to do this in a phased approach. So we opened a brick and mortar retail location first. That's what we opened in uh, July 5th, 2014. And uh, we were there for three years and we sold the dream to our customer base. So once the state kind of heard that there was a new gun shop in town, we began to just win them over by good customer service and some cool product. And then we said, this is a stepping stone, guys. What we really want to do is build this and it was a range retail training gunsmithing facility mm -hmm. and they're like oh, okay and then like three years in we were turning a profit we had a good customer base we said it's now or never we started searching for a building we found a building and we had someone who was going to be a silent partner investor kind of on the side mm -hmm. that was like, yeah, we're going to, I'm going to back you financially. So go for it. We're like, great. So, cause we didn't have any money and uh, we, we found a building and then went back to the guy who was going to be the investor. And all of a sudden it was like, uh, 
hello, you know, <laughs> are you there? And, he, right. you know, doo -doo -doo, you have the wrong number, you know. And so this guy who was our financial backer ghosted us, just oh, yeah. said, see you later. Wow. And and so we were like, okay, I guess we got to do it ourselves. And uh, so we started finding banks and, you know, we had a bank that was all gung-ho, ready to go. Nice. They dropped out. Then we found another bank that was like, yeah, we love it. No problem. They dropped out. Wow. And so two banks dropped out. Then we hired a consultant and he's like, I've already been through this process. I spent $30,000 trying to find a bank that would fund me and I got the perfect guy for it. Great. So we get this guy, he comes in. Oh yeah, no problem. I love the, the business plan. The location's great. This is going to be a home run. And uh, so we're like, great. He dropped out. Uh, actually, he ended up moving to a different company and to a bank in Texas, actually. And the, the president of the bank in Texas was a huge hunter, gun guy. So we're like, this is it. We found the guy. And the, the, the sales rep was telling us he was in talking about the, uh, the prospect of our business with the bank president. And he said, oh, hold on. This is my gun dealer calling. He's got my special hunting ammo for Africa. Uh, so I got to take this call. And he takes the call and he's get, you know, getting whatever it is, 375 Holland and Holland for his Africa trip. So we're like, we got, we got the guy. He backed out. So, wow. uh, yeah, they finally said, ah, we decided to go in a different direction. Sorry. And we're like, you know, have a deposit on this building with sold pre-sold memberships. Wow. We're like really down the, down the road. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we had sold the dream to our customers and, and uh, we were in negotiations with Action Target for the range equipment. And we said to them, who do you guys see that funds ranges? They said, oh, we got this bank in Wisconsin that has done the last three projects we've done. Give them a call. So we call them. They said, yep, we understand the business plan. Send it. Uh, we like this. And uh, we're going to take care of it. And they fast-tracked it. I mean, 30, 40 days that we had a letter in hand and uh they they funded it so we were good uh but it was it was touch and go there for a while you know right. uh, yeah it was really and frankly we we didn't do this kind of illicitly we did it with full disclosure to customers we said this is what we want to do are you willing to spend some money to help us support our dream and uh, bring a great service to Cape Cod, Massachusetts. And there were people that were like, I'll never give you a dime because it's never going to happen. Then there was people who were like, here's my 300 bucks for a pre-construction membership. And what happens if you don't open? And I said, well, you're out 300 bucks. <laughs> uh, but we're out our life savings and I'm living with my in-laws. You know what I mean? So, so that's the difference right here. You're out 300 bucks. I'm out everything. I am all in. I pushed all my chips on the table. There was no plan B. There was no backup. There was no, you know, we, we didn't have uh, an exit strategy. It was all or nothing. And so people believed in us enough to say, all right, here's my 300 bucks. We sold like 250 memberships. We raised like a quarter of a million bucks for a down payment on everything. And, and uh, we were able to get, the funny thing is the bank was like, you can't count on those memberships. 
I'm like, what do you mean I can't count? These people already paid money. And they're like, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. yeah they might go away next year. And I'm like, I think we're going to double the amount of members if we actually break ground on this place. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, you can't figure for a dime of this money. And we're like, well, it's in escrow. So what do you want to do? You know, and they ended up lending to us. So it was it was it was miraculous in a lot of ways that it actually right. all happened. Now, what you you talked about the public range that had gotten closed down before y'all before y'all opened up before y'all moved in, um, didn't sound like it was much and nothing to talk about if it kind of had some of the issues that you were mentioning. But um, your range now and that range then, what what are the major differences? Sound like it's night and day the difference between the two. Yeah, ours is an indoor range that was an outdoor range that was not monitored by anyone it was a glorified sand pit really okay gotcha. and uh the town administered it uh they built they put up the backstops they put a bunch of warning signs but it was a free-for-all you know and it was Uh, a good place but there was a couple times going there you're like uh hey guys can you put the gun down i gotta go down range and change my target or check my target and they're like okay and you're down at the 100 yard range and all of a sudden, someone's touching shots off at the 50-yard range. You're like, oh, yeah. hey, hey, guys, put the gun down. You know, like, oh, okay. You know, and they put the gun down. So no RSOs, no, it was just a free-for-all. Yeah. And uh, so it was, it was a little scary, if you will. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, it was nice to have a place to go and shoot, sight in your rifle and sight in your handgun or your you know muzzle loader or shotgun or whatever and uh yeah that place has been closed for the better part of seven years now and the town has to do something with the land they can't just let it go fallow because it's contaminated by lead so they have to uh either clean it or reopen it and and manage it mm-hmm. so they're they're in a serious predicament right now and uh we'll see what happens but uh yeah, it was a night and day difference. But also, people were used to paying 25 bucks a year for a membership to a range. Even the private clubs were only 100 bucks, 75 to 100 bucks a year. Mm-hmm. And so here we are opening a state-of-the-art indoor facility, and people are like, 300 bucks a year? Are you out of your mind? And we're like, we don't have a volunteer group of people that are willing to put the time in and you know serve at the rubber chicken dinner in exchange for their membership right they're they're you know we pay everybody we buy the filters we you know have to uh pay our staff to clean the range we have to pay our staff to maintain it change filters every time we change filters it's seven thousand dollars for a full filter change you know how how often is that that's about uh twice a year whoa okay yeah so that's the full HEPA filters, the mid filters, the pre filters, and the DCU filters. So, uh, yeah, it's it's seven grand. And uh, so, you know, people are like, oh, three hundred bucks a year, you're out of your mind. And I'm like, guys, we're not a we're not a charity. We're not a volunteer organization here. Uh, we're we're a for profit business, and we have to keep the lights on. We got a big building. It's twenty. It's a, actually a forty thousand square foot building. Holy. Um, yeah, so, you know, it, it costs a lot of money to do what we did. And uh, so it's, you know, we, but we, we did it. And, and the core base of people uh, that believed in the dream, there were people who were like, 
I'm willing to gamble 300 bucks on a pre-construction membership in the hope that this comes to fruition. Mm -hmm. They didn't necessarily know for a fact that it was going to happen. They had my word, which was, I'm going to do everything in my power to, to get it done. Right. But, but they also recognized, hey, I believe enough in the dream of this for our sake. It's going to help our community. It's mm -hmm. going to help our Second Amendment community on Cape Cod. Uh, so we have to put our money where our mouth is. And I, I am totally indebted to those people that actually did that because they took a risk right. uh, and saw the dream and, and hope. Then there was other people who were absolutely 100% behind you. I know you're going to do this. This is great. But, you know, and then there was, all, like I said before, the people who were like, I will give you one nickel. That place is never going to open. Right. And, uh, you know, some of those people have come back and said, I was one of those guys that never in a million years thought you'd be able to do what you did. Here's my right. 300 bucks. I want to join. Sorry. It's right. 500 bucks now. No, <laughs> right. yeah, but, but anyway, uh, yeah. well, I mean, it, it, it sounds like there's a little bit of humility there because I mean, while I'm sure they did, you know, see the vision or see the dream, I'm sure that a lot of it probably had to do with you, right? Like knowing you, knowing how serious you were, uh, with what you had invested and everything else. And they're like, Hey, is this guy's, pushing all in right mm -hmm. like it's a pretty safe bet that you know he's gonna make it happen so it sounded like a lot of it a lot of it hinged on you more than i think you're letting on sounds to me like <laughs> yeah i mean maybe uh i think i think people believed in the passion of what we were trying to do right yeah um yeah yeah, yeah. right yeah and, and, now the no, the, the no. I was going to talk a little bit about the range. Now, you know, how many bays do you got? What's the distances? How is all that set up? Give us a little insight on the on the range itself. Yeah, so we have twenty five yards. Um, we have two bays. One has seven lanes and one has eight lanes. Oh, so wow. we have 15, 15 lanes total, and we're separated by a ballistic uh wall if you will a 12 inch concrete wall separating the two bays so we can have like a training class going on nice. four to the line four to the shooting line down range on bay one or bay two while everyone else is just shooting on range one or two right you know, the other officer yeah. yeah and uh they're totally independent totally different uh air systems uh yeah so we can turn one range off turn one range on you know run them both whatever and uh so that's uh been a big that was one of the big things like part of the reason of doing what we wanted what we did was because there was no place in our area where you could go take a good uh live fire firearms class um outside of what is required by law for your license to carry. So like if you wanted a good uh, intuitive defensive shooting class or uh, defensive, defensive shooting fundamentals class or, or uh, concealed carry and home defense class, something like that, where you're actually shooting uh, on, the, on a range, there was no club in our area that would host one of those classes. There was one for a little while until they got wonky about it. And then another one 
kind of cropped up and let us do some stuff. And then they shut it down. And you had to be an approved instructor by the club. And that was kind of a good old boys kind of niche thing. And uh, if you weren't on the in, you were on the out. So you, you couldn't do anything. And uh, you could do like a basic NRA class. Uh, you could do a basic um, uh, home defense class or a shotgun one rifle or pistol class. But frankly, if you were trying to do a uh, concealed carry class or a you know defensive shooting fundamentals class or something like that, it was no go. None of the ranges would allow you to do it because of liability reasons. And I'm like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I can't go to a gun range and take a defensive shooting class because of liability. Are you crazy? Like, I want to see what that lawyer, you know, what that courtroom scene looks like when a lawyer, someone who shoots themselves on a range at a club and they sue, whatever, you know, someone's always going to sue. And the lawyer says, so were you trained in the defensive, safe and efficient use of a firearm at your club? No, I'm sorry. They didn't let me take a class at my club on how to shoot my gun safely and efficiently. You know, I mean, a junior law student could win that case. Uh, I'm like, why, why are gun clubs prohibiting the, prolific, the uh, proliferation of safety classes or firearms classes, mm-hmm. live fire classes at a gun range. That doesn't make sense. Right. It's, like, it's like, oh, just follow our four universal safety rules and go out and have fun. It's like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so one of the reasons we wanted to do what we did was to be able to train people in a good defensive firearms or, you know, private one-on-one or pistol one, pistol two, pistol three, shotgun one, shotgun two, shotgun three, uh, carbine class, that type of thing have, uh, you know, basic and all the way up to advanced classes in a live fire uh, dynamic environment with a, uh, you know, a a really good class that will help someone become more safe and efficient with their firearms and be able to use one if they needed to in a defensive situation. So that wasn't available to people and we wanted to, uh, you know, import that to our market. So now you, you mentioned earlier when you're talking about that public range and, and about them being able to clean up the lead and everything, how is all of that managed? Like the projectiles there, I'm guessing they're captured down range somehow. How does all that work? You guys got to haul that stuff off to the scrap yard every so yeah. often or, okay. Well, we actually have a, uh, that's why I use the word state of the art range because we really did um, spare no expense. One of the areas we had the highest budget for was our range and i didn't want to put our members or guests in any type of uh jeopardy uh some of the clubs i've shot at over the years um i felt like i needed a respirator to shoot at because the you you know clouds of dust are floating back in your face so we hired uh some of the best known people in the industry um, to do our range ventilation system. And uh, we also did a total containment trap, which um, collects the bullet heads basically as they go into the trap. They fall into a screw auger that brings it all down to oh, one wow. end. 
Yeah, wow, it's nice. all the all the lead goes down one end through a screw auger that kicks on every I don't know ten minutes or thirty minutes, brings all the lead projectiles down to one end, and then it goes down a chute uh, through our first floor down into the basement level and out the side of the building and into a fifty-five gallon drum that's got a sealed lid on it. So it's not like anyone's out there shoveling lead or, you know, breathing any of this crap. It's all contained right. and uh, goes down uh, range and ends up in a 55-gallon uh, uh, barrel. And uh, there's even, like, a sensor in the lid of that barrel that tells us when the barrel's three-quarters full and we can swap it out uh, rather than letting it back up into the chute. And sure. uh, so, yeah, it's a very clean process to change out the barrels. And then we have something called a DCU, which is a dust collection unit that takes the splatter of lead from the uh, range itself, like from the uh, bullet trap, any lead that hits it and atomizes, gets sucked up into this dust collection unit and uh, goes through a, a HEPA filter, basically, or a MERV 15 filter and uh, collects all the fine particulates. And then any of the heavier lead falls into a 25 gallon barrel. So there's this like fine lead dust that accumulates in a barrel uh, as a result of you know taking all that. Plus we have a recirculation system that has a laminar airflow from the shooter downrange 75 feet per minute. And basically a wall of air that moves away from the shooter 75 feet per minute. And uh, so that all happens and it changes over the air every 80 to 90 seconds in our shop. Wow. In the, on the range. And the air coming into the range is cleaner than the air you're breathing outside. So, oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty wild. So, yeah. wow. And we, we also recover 60% of the energy in the heat. Uh, or heat or AC, depending on the season. So uh, it's not just a straight purge system. We we do recover some of the energy, 60% of it. Wow, that's pretty neat. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, as far as the gunsmithing side of things, um, what type of services do you guys offer on that front? <laughs> is it simply parts changing, or is it more advanced than that? And has it always been that way, or is that, is that something that you guys have also kind of progressed into? Yeah, from day one, we wanted to offer a good gun surfeit, uh, service, gunsmith service. So going back nine years almost, we had a gunsmith right from day one. Um, actually, our first manager was a, a gunsmith who was very good. And um, we, we've been doing everything from trigger jobs to site installs to, um, you know, stippling on grips to seracoding, oh, nice. yeah, seracoding, and uh, uh, all the way up to complete builds. Uh, from you know, we're a Type Seven FFL, so we're a manufacturer. So we we do build our own guns every once in a while, uh, either AR type or the latest of Endeavor has been the BRN one eighty kind of platform the brownells brn 180 uh so we build those kind of guns we build precision rifles for people who do prs or long range you know shooting or hunting and uh i've also built some guns for law enforcement and uh, but yeah with 
cut down barrels, threaded barrels, you know, mounted scopes, bore sighted. I would say our bread and butter is probably 90% of our gunsmithing is uh, like sight install, scope install, bore sighting, uh, some reliability issues with ARs, uh, as well as um, we also do a lot of, uh, uh, you know, refinishing of firearms. I usually send that out to someone either local or uh, somebody who's really good at bluing or plating or, you know, refinishing. And um, so we do all that as a service to our customers, uh, not to mention uh, we um, we do a lot of uh, um, like custom builds. Someone will bring us a receiver and say, hey, I want to uh, build this out like this and we'll go shopping for their parts and whatnot and guide them through the process. And, but we do a lot of apex triggers we do a lot of you know glock trigger jobs that type of stuff and uh site installs is probably a lot of it not to mention uh compliance work so we're a banned state in massachusetts so we have to neuter some of the modern sporting uh, rifles so we got to make sure there's no bayonet log no collapsible stock no threaded barrel no flash hider no evil features, you know, no foldy stuff on semi-autos. Right. Uh, right. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, the reason I asked that, you know, the having having access to mills and lathes, right, to the blue and tanks like you're talking about it, all those solutions and, the you know, the blue and tanks require burners and takes up a lot of space, right? Uh, a lot of cost and equipment when you do that. Not just that, but, I mean, the expertise and the knowledge, right, to be able to, to run all of that so uh i don't think that's uncommon for quite a few places for most places i think to to farm that out um works a little better that way i mean if you you know instead of spending tens upon tens of thousands of dollars easily to put that in and maybe use that every now and then great once in a while uh why not rely on somebody that's already got that and several gun shops just align with them and keep them busy doing it and you know, kind of like everybody wins, you know? Yeah, the only drawback to farming some stuff out, which we do, is lead time. You know, I yeah, wish true. I could control lead time a little better. Um, even as much as I try to manage it, it always comes back to haunt you. So um, yeah. if, like, I have a guy I sent a Walter PPK and a really custom 1911 out to get... 24 karat gold plating or 23 karat gold plating to it. Whoa. It's they're fully engraved guns. They're going to look like something out of Saddam Hussein's, you know, castle or palace when it's <laughs> when they're all said and done. Uh, but no matter how many times I told this guy, it's going to be like three to five months. He was like, didn't want to hear it, you know. And so he'll call me every week and be like, "Where are my guns? It's been..." two months where are my guns and i'm like i told you it's gonna be three to five months no you said a couple weeks i'm like dude <laughs> I I, no i i promise you one thing I, you. I know the lead times i would have yeah. never told you a couple weeks you know so part of it is um i'd love to i'd love to bring some of that in house however it's a very specialized like you said, tens of thousands of dollars worth of equipment, not to mention the trial and error of potentially screwing up a 
a gun that's some heirloom piece or something that's near and dear to someone's heart or needing to like refinish it and do extra stuff. So we have this like fine line where we determine whether the the juice is worth the squeeze. You know what I mean? I'm not really looking to be the next uh, Midwest gun, you know, exchange or whatever the heck those guys that do an awesome job on uh, gunsmithing. Uh, I'm really more interested in being a service. Like I'll handle this service for you. I have great resources for Cerakote and Stipple and, you know, refinish and plating and sight cuts and, you know, all that type of stuff. I can get anything done for you. And I'm happy to be that guy. So you don't have to go searching the internet and wondering if it's ever going to get done right. I, yeah. I have, you have my guarantee that it'll get done right. Uh, it's just going to take some time. So be patient. Right. Gunsmithing yeah. is, you know, one of those things. And yeah. honestly, it's a dying art. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's pretty, I think that's pretty common too. I think that, you know, most gun shops that you see that, that do gunsmithing of any, of any sort, um, you know, even if they farm some of it out, they basically are not doing it to be like the premier gunsmith place, you know, around. They're doing it basically to, as an added service for their customer base. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Uh, you know, a guy comes in, he buys firearms there all the time. He buys, you know, new rifles every year to, to hunt hunting rifle. He's going to buy a scope. Hey, we need to have somebody that can mount the scope, right? They can bore sight right. it for him. They can, you know, maybe he wants a different color, right? Maybe he wants it to be Cerakoted. Maybe, you know, not in your state, obviously, but maybe he needs the barrel threaded, <laughs> you know, um, a lot of gunsmiths around here. That's a lot of what they do is threading jobs, quite mm-hmm. honestly. So, uh, especially with the way suppressors have gained in popularity over the last little, little bit, few years. Yeah. Yeah, um, we do, we do that. We, we do thread barrels. If it's not a modern sporting rifle, or if it only has one evil feature, like a detachable mag, it doesn't have a pistol grip. We can thread the barrel. I have no problem doing that for people. And, uh, you know, we have a lathe and a bridge port in house and we do a lot of some milling and stuff like that. Uh, and we'll, we'll get our hands dirty. I'm not afraid to do it, but, uh, I also have great resources available. If it's, if we're too busy or jammed up, I can get it done. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, G Web's out there because uh, we we are going to move in, kind of talk about the shop and everything a little bit here. But uh, he says, uh, were there any products in the gun shop uh, uh, that are in demand that you were surprised about that you didn't anticipate? So, has there been something in the shop that you're like, wow, I can't believe those sold? Yeah, there's uh, throughout the years, there's been a couple things that were really surprising. Uh, one of recent um, nature was we got an FN 249 saw, a semi, the semi-automatic uh, brand new FN. And I've had a few of those. And every time I get them, they, they last a matter of days. And right. my business partner has the proverbial gun to my head. Like, dude, you spent how much on one gun? Like, are you crazy? But their, me- their time on the shelf is measured in days, not months. You know what I mean? And right. so they sell really quick, and I'm I'm shocked that they do, but uh, that people are willing to drop nine or ten grand on a gun, you know, on one gun. Um, some of the other products that uh, 
go really quick. Uh, one thing that we, we joke about, we can never run out of because they're in such high demand are those little silly Uplula mag loaders, you know, uh, the thumb savers. But the, those things, I mean, they sell like hotcakes. I can't believe how, you know, and I'm like, I can load my mags pretty fine and dandy. But uh, yeah, so um, it's it's shocking to me that those things, we run out of them all the time. Uh, but yeah, that, that's one of those things. Um, as far as guns are concerned, uh, SIG MCXs I could sell. There's no limit on what I could, you know, those SIG MCX rifles. You think, okay, you get into a $2,300 rifle and people are going to, they're going to sit around for a while. Nope. I'll get 25 of them in and they're gone in a week. You know, it's wow. just, just unbelievable how fast those go. Um, I never dreamed that go so quick. Robinson armament XCRLs are another one that go as fast as I get them. Right. Uh, just gone. Yeah. Uh, now, do you guys see a lot of used stuff? Do you see a lot of trade-ins? Do you is there very much like that, that that comes to the store? It used to be. Right now, and over the last two years, uh, two or three years, in COVID time, it was almost impossible to get a trade-in done. Uh, now they're starting to trickle in again, um, and it's mostly like you know people coming in with their first-generation shield, forty caliber. And want to get a shield plus you know what i mean so they're kind of trading in the gun that is going to be like the slowest seller on our shelf ever because it's you know a early generation of the gun or a caliber no one wants right and and so that's what's trickling in but we do get from time to time states will get like a couple right. you know 30, 40, 50 guns in one whack. Yep. And sometimes there's some real gold in those estates where, you know, we'll get some nice, uh, you know, we just had a really nice M1 Garand come in in one of those type of situations. A uh, bunch of really cool old, like Saturday night specials with a, this beautiful stainless baby browning 25 with like the, in the stainless finish with the nickel. Uh, I mean, the stainless finish with the pearl grips in the original pistol rug with the manual and everything in really amazing wow. shape. Yeah, yeah. So stuff like that. Yeah. Now for those that, that, uh, that may be in that area that, that may be listening or whatever. Uh, so as far as the estate sale type stuff, uh, is that uh, a, hey, one money, we're going to buy you know whatever you have or the ability to consign things or combination just kind of depends on. It all depends the on the client. Wants. Yeah, because okay. basically we've developed a formula and uh, we have three different consignment rates based on what the gun price is. If the gun's like un under a thousand bucks. We charge 30%. People are like, wow, you take a lot of money. I'm like, listen, it's more work for me to, for me to sell your gun than a new gun that I get from distribution. And you don't realize that, but it, it is. Yeah. And you know, at the end of the day, uh, we're trying to, you know, keep the ball rolling up the hill. And, uh, and so then if it's over a thousand bucks, I think between a thousand and 2000, we get 25%. And then anything over like 2000 bucks, we get uh, 20%. So okay. those are our three consignment rates. And then if it's a used gun and someone wants just 
to be out of it, wants a check for it, we generally give them between 50 and 60% of the retail value. And it's an open formula. I'm not hiding anything. I say, this gun I'm going to sell for 600 bucks, so I can give you three in, in the case of it being a not high demand gun or 375 if it's like a gun I think I can shoot sure. pretty quick. So yeah. uh, we're open and honest. It's a kind of an open book system. And uh, so some people have a decision to make at that point. Do I want to check now or do I, do I want to wait till the gun sells? So, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and those rates aren't crazy. I mean, if you look no. at any any auction house, you know, anything, and not even with firearms, but, you know, any type of situation, yeah. be antique furniture, uh, 30%, that's, that's about where everything lands. So, yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I mean, I get it, you know, when you, <laughs> you know, I get it when you, you walk in or you're like, ah, oh, you know, they're taking that. But, I mean, you got to have your margins, and that kind of brings me to, uh, you know, what I was going to ask is we're talking about the shop and things in the shop. Um, where do you guys make your most, the margins on? Is it firearms mm. or is it the ammunition or is it holsters and targets and the knickknack, the, the mag loaders, like you were talking about that type of yeah. stuff. Where, where's the margin? Where's the stuff that really pays the bills? Yeah. Like if you were to look on paper and say, I'm going to, to a gun show, I mean a gun shop, uh, and compare it to typical retail, you'd be like, you're crazy. Like, what are you, stupid? Like, you don't do that. Like, go open a clothing store, go open a jewelry store, go open a, you know, music store or something, because uh, the margins on guns are extremely low. On new guns, I would say. The used guns, that's why we pay 60%, so we have a chance of making 40 points mm-hmm. on on a uh, used gun. That's huge money. Well, you got, room to, yeah. you got room to lower it a little bit and yeah. blow it out if you need to as well. Yeah. Sure. But the point is that's a much higher margin than you're getting on any new gun you're selling. So oh, yeah. used gun is a better, uh, a better margin or better revenue stream, if you will. And right now there is no used gun market for the most part. It's there's right. no one trading guns in, so yeah. it's really hard to even have those. Um, but the other side of it is yes, the the little doodads and the accessories, the eye and ear protection, the targets, the um, the uplulas, the cleaning kits, the cleaning solution. That's where your margin is. It still doesn't approach traditional retail, uh, but it's better than the gun margins. Mm-hmm. So you're really just hoping to do uh, volume. And uh, when we were just a mom and pop little uh, retail store uh, and we didn't have the range or the, uh, the overhead that we have now, um, we were doing okay, but we also recognized like, you know, the, the business we have now is a three legged stool. So, it's the retail operations, it's the training, and it's the uh, range. So, uh, and, you know, in that range kind of box is memberships and that type of thing. So those three legs need to be able to stand on their own and support the weight of the oh, wow. overhead. And right. Yeah. So the, the retail is definitely the most robust leg. You know, it's more like a 
uh, a lean to, if you will. You got two legs leaning on the one leg of the <laughs> retail operation. Right. But the bottom line is those other two areas have a higher margin, higher revenue, uh, you know, profit margin, if you will. Uh, but no one's going to come in just for those. Like you have to have, right. you could never exist just as a retail range. Mm-hmm. That, that wouldn't happen in my well, area. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like the idea of, well, I'm going to open a gas station and I'm only going to sell gas. It's like, well, mm. you're going you're gonna to go broke. You know, right. your, your your profit, your margin is in the chips and the sodas and the sandwiches and the <laughs> right. and, and the wiper blades or what the other stuff, right? That's where your margins yeah. are. Like you can't uh, making three cents or a nickel a gallon on gas. You're not gonna keep the lights on doing that. So, right. uh, yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying, and it's also I, I like the approach. I like the approach that you're talking about. They all have to. It's a stool. They all kind of have to do their own thing because otherwise, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. And like, mm-hmm. what's the point of, you know, having the range if you're having to suck money out of another aspect of your business because that's not making money or vice versa? You know, right. it doesn't make good business sense to operate right. like that. Yeah. And that was what our hope was, that it would synergistically work together. Yeah. Like one yeah. area would waterfall to the other. So, right. yeah, okay, you become a member. Well, we give you 10% off as a member for any training classes we offer. So we're hoping you're going to take training classes. What I was going to ask is, you know, having the range and everything there, do you guys do rentals as well? Or is that even something possible in Massachusetts? No, that is possible. We don't, we can't do machine gun rentals, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, But we can do rentals of pistols, rifles, and shotguns. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can shoot anything up to 50 BMG on our range. And uh, and, uh, although we did just pause... 50 BMG because we had to replace a bunch of backstops. No. Yeah, it was uh, it was starting to. <laughs> what kind of cheap junk are you using up there, Toby? Can't handle I know, a really. 50. Come I'm on. looking for a frangible 50 cal so I can reinstate the barrel. Um, or sub or subsonic, which I mean, subsonic doesn't necessarily help with semi-auto because of cycling. Right. Uh, but if you're running a bolt 50, the subsonic 50 stuff is pretty cool. Yeah. So that, that that might be a good way to look at it. That might could help because you got the bullet trap, the you right. know, going frangible. If it's not moving very fast, it's not gonna it's not gonna be a problem, right? Uh, so yeah, you could uh, could go that route maybe. But yeah, that's crazy to hear that you're shooting fifty on the. <laughs> yeah, a lot of indoor ranges oh. around us don't allow any rifle rounds whatsoever. There's outdoor ranges here that you can't shoot here that you can't shoot 50 on, like outdoor. Right. So it's like, why can you yeah. not? It doesn't make any sense. Well, it tears our the 50 tears our berms up. That's what they'll say. You know, I, you when I that? when we built the range, we specifically said we wanted it rated for 50 BMG. Mm-hmm. We want, I, you know, again, I try. I didn't spare any expense right. on the construction of our range because we wanted. Uh, I wanted to be able to shoot 50, and we have. Well, and it's fun when we do it. We usually get everybody off the firing line when we do because the yeah. concussion of it. Is- oh yeah, it's a it's an explosion. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, shooting any firearm is an explosion, a controlled explosion. But right. man, a fifty is absolutely. I mean, you've got that concussive shockwave with it, and uh, it's fun. If you're yeah. out there, you've never shot a fifty BMG. Go shoot a fifty BMG. Uh, double up your ear pro <laughs> for mm-hmm. sure. 
Uh, if you're if you're shooting it prone, make sure there's something under the muzzle. Put a tarp or something down, because uh, man, you will stir up some dust. You were talking about stirring up dust in a range. You will stir up some dust with a fifty if you're shooting from the prone, and uh, you know, once all those gases and stuff start kicking around. Um, now, what is um, as far as the range? Do you know the rentals? What seems to be the the most common one that somebody asked to to rent and go shoot in the range are there any particular models that's more common well, than others the one handgun that gets rented more than anything is the vp9 hk vp9 okay that's interesting yeah we have it's one gun handgun. we've sold we we had two original vp9s for rent on our range uh-huh. one we've sent back for factory recondition and sold it the other one we still have and the hk rep knows about it but it probably has about three to 350,000 rounds. Holy crap. That's crazy. That's crazy. It's been back once for like a spring and I'm sure. Yeah. But the thing is the energizer bunny on the, on the range, it just no quit and it runs and runs and runs. That surprises me when you said HKVP dimes, because when I asked that question, I expected something like, oh, the SIG P365 or the you know, the Glock 19 or, you know, um, I mean, the VP nines for a phenomenal handgun. It did it. So it shouldn't surprise me, but I'm like, it's a little bougie. It's a little high end for people i think to, to come in and be, kind of ask for that which is well weird. it's kind of a uh result of the in the area we live so yeah. the member that approved weapons roster, the roster we yeah that's true that's so true even though glock pistols are on the approved weapons roster we actually can't commercially sell them because oh. they don't meet the attorney general's regulations so <laughs> um so Glocks are on the roster. We can sell them to law enforcement, but we can't sell them to the everyday person. So we have a couple Glocks for rent on our range, but my range staff also understands that um, it's stupid to just push a gun that we can't actually yep. convert into a sale. No, I agree. Yeah. So the a lot of my range guys, number one, they're thoroughly impressed with the reliability of the VP9 based on the fact that it has probably three to four. 350,000. But the second side of it is they are, are kind of a fan boy of it and they want to push it and they own one. And so, plus it fits most hands well. Right. And so they'll like, Oh, you never shot before. Well, try this first. And then yep. if you don't like it, we can go another direction. But most of the people that try it are like, man, that fits yep. my hand. Great. Right. And I used to describe it as, it fits like an old worn in leather glove. Like it just, you know, you, your hand just melts into that mm-hmm. gun and it feels good. Um, but well, it's got, they've got interchangeable grip panels too. Yeah. Yep. Which helps. And, and I also tell my range staff like, guys, it's not the only gun we sell. So you gotta like think outside the up. box a little yeah. bit. Mix it up. Yeah. Yeah. Mix it up. Um, and like, it got to be one of these things like this intercompany controversies where the sales staff would send someone to the range to do a range experience or a try before you buy and they're like just trying out a sig 320 or a mmp you know nine or something like that 
And all of a sudden they come back and they're like, I want the VP nine, you know? And it was like, Oh, you talked to the range staff, you know? All right. <laughs> so it was kind of right. funny, you know, uh, we were like, guys, you know, they've already walked them through the whole process and showed them three guns and then narrowed them down to this based on price or based on the fit or the features or whatever they wanted, mm-hmm. sent them out and you just wasted everybody's time for 20, 30 minutes because you sent them back <laughs> on the VP nine, which fine. I'm, I'm, I'll sell VP nines all day, but right. I got a whole case full of guns that, you know, people need to buy as well. Like there's other right. guns out there. So yeah, true. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it's been kind of a, a funny intercompany thing, you know, that right. that is, uh, but that's by far the most rented gun on our range. Wow. Uh, second to that would probably be like a 365 or the Shield Plus mm-hmm. or um, close, like third or fourth would probably be like the Taurus G3 Compact because that's one of the guns we can sell. Okay. Yeah. And it's price point gun. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> heat shield out there. He says, I'm going to have to go look at the word bougie now. Thanks a lot. Bougie is just <laughs> fancy, man. It's fancy, right. high, high brow. You know, that's, that's what <laughs> it means. Um, so yeah, we're at the, uh, actually we passed the top of the hour, but let's, uh, let's play a, a, a little game here, Toby, real quick. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll close out and, uh, and get the heck out of here. So I'm going to give you two choices, uh, here and, uh, you got to pick one. You don't have to necessarily explain, but you've got to pick one of these. So, um, so if, if you had to fight one, which would you rather fight, uh, a predator or an alien? Mm. I'm going to say predator predator okay mm-hmm. um if you could visit one which one had you rather visit the north pole or the south pole um probably the south pole you're, you're a penguin guy then well I are think you just that... a, you're just afraid of the polar bears that's what it is <laughs> i mean i guess if it was a hunting trip definitely the north pole <laughs> the north pole right yeah because yeah. i'd be going muskox polar bear you know yeah. reindeer the yeah. reason i say south pole is because i don't hear too much about it right like nobody goes to the south pole I yeah guess does it, it even exist i mean right. it's on a map yeah. but you know yeah yeah you gotta wonder yeah. does it really exist right <laughs> <laughs> um, if uh Let's see. Here we go. What have we got? Uh, dang it. I missed, I missed my spot. Oh, uh, you rather vacation in the mountains or at the beach? Me, the mountains, my wife, the beach. Ah, okay. One of those. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, are you a 12 gauge or a 20 gauge guy in shotgun? Um, 20, but uh that's because that's what we hunt with deer in the state is shotgun okay and i have a rifled slug barrel on my thompson center pro hunter and it's a tack driver in 20 gauge and i've been getting more into bird hunting i'm still hunting birds with 12 gauge but i'm looking to get into a 20 or a 28 but oh 28 sweet highly recommended yeah definitely uh john wayne or clint eastwood Oh man, that's a tough one. Since you're killing me, I I would say I've seen more Clint Eastwood than John Wayne, but I like John Wayne uh, 
you know, just the way he talks is, is sure. Great. You know, yeah, yeah. That, well, that I wrong. sent for you yesterday, and you showed up today. You know, John well, Wayne. So long, <laughs> John Wayne is with just with the cadence, easily recognizable. Right. William Shatner, right? William Shatner's that right. way. Uh, there's just those people that they said that cadence. It's just it's but crazy. When Eastwood's still doing it, so oh yeah, that's true. That's yeah, true. What the heck, you know, <laughs> that's true. Long career. So I want to give you, uh, I'm going to give you a couple of minutes here, uh, uh, Toby, as we we close out. If people want to follow what you guys are doing, check out some stuff. If they want to get in touch with you, maybe they're in Massachusetts, they're looking for training classes. Um, what's the best way to to follow what you guys are doing? Uh, obviously, you've got. We didn't have a chance to talk about it, but uh, you've got the the Rapid Fire Radio show, uh, the new mm -hmm. Rapid Fire Radio Network. Uh, just kind of key people in, I guess, on all that before we get out of here. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, we're really excited about the Rapid Fire Radio Network. We uh, broadcast live every Wednesday from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern. And the second hour of the show is more like a long format podcast, kind of like what we did here. I have a guest on and we talk to them and find out all about them, which I'm sure you'll be a guest on soon enough. Looking forward for, to it. And, yeah. uh, and then the first hour is kind of news of the day, cool guns, whatever the heck peaks our sure. interest yeah. and uh, interact with the live chat and whatnot. So um, this was something that came out of our live streams we did during COVID when we were shut down and the phone was ringing off the hook and people were freaking out, wondering what is going on and why can't I come to the gun shop and buy a gun or buy some ammo. And, and uh, we were just giving daily updates and it kind of ebbed into a more organized, more, you know, a show that was at a certain time and day and we were doing it every day for a while, but then we kind of broke off into once a week and uh, it, we got carried by a couple of radio stations. At one point we were in uh, five States and uh, or, I'm sorry, three States, five radio stations. Mm -hmm. And, um, but now we're heading toward the more podcast type of show. And, but we're also expanding the network to include other shows that we um, want to support and partner with and kind of collaborate with uh, like yourself. Uh, Clover's a great resource for the second amendment. We believe in what he's doing uh, G web stuff and uh, you know, a bunch of the other ones in the rapid fire radio network. And so um, we're really excited to kind of expand the base and cast the net, so to speak, and, and bring more people into that um, under that umbrella and, uh, kind of collaborate and commiserate and mm -hmm. share ideas and everyone has their own little niche. So I right. think it's all productive in the furthering of the second amendment. Yep. Um, you know, it takes and, a village, you know? Yeah. Right. And so I think it's so cool how all the nuance around firearms ownership, there's guys that I have a buddy. I just left his house before the show. I was over there and he has, more guns than I'll ever have. And he has sold more guns than probably <laughs> is in my shop right now. Throughout right. His life. Right. And he never shoots. He's not a shooter. He's like a collector. He's in. That's a people. thing though. That's yeah. a thing. There's it nothing is. wrong it's with that. Right. And he's like, uh, he loves nuance of guns, the historicity of them. He oh. likes telling the story behind the gun. And oh yeah, that's cool. And that's one sector of it then there's the yep. 
target shooters. There's the competition guys. There's the tactical element. There's the defensive shooting guys. There's the guys who want to make the, you know, the special operations group rifles and the long range precision and everything about it. And it's all important. Whether I don't even care if you just own a double barrel shotgun to go shoot birds. Like Mm -hmm. that's part of the second amendment community and you're all welcome under the tent. And, and uh, we want to make sure that there's room enough for everybody and uh, try to find common ground. And uh, if the gun is the thing that causes common ground across political uh, ideology and across religious backgrounds and across racial backgrounds, across, uh, you know, uh, gender and age gap, you know, from the old to the young. Yep. I don't care what it is, what the reason that you are interested in firearms. Um, I think it's worth supporting and promoting and collaborating with. And that's really where the Second Amendment is headed. I think uh, in order to preserve our rights, we have to be um, really uh, aware that hey, yeah, everybody who owns a gun doesn't think like me or doesn't think like you or doesn't think like that guy over there. But there's still room under the tent for that person. Mm -hmm. And so let's figure it out. Let's come together and let's expand the Second Amendment community by um, allowing people who might be different minded or, or, uh, you know, have, you know, I was just interacting with someone today who's like, you people in your AR-15s, like, he's like, I own shotguns, but you you rally around a certain type of gun, and we're not the same. We're not on the same side anymore. And I'm trying to, like, worm back into this conversation and say, hey, bro, if you think that the AR-15 is the problem and we surrender those, guess what they come for next? They come for right. the the bolt right. action rifle because right. it's a sniper rifle then they come for the shotgun because it's you know a, a deadly weapon that can dispatch oh, multi caliber right it's in one shot you know right yeah the, um, you know you're going away at some point it's a you street sweeper it. that's the shotgun argument <laughs> that would be made is it's a street sweeper it's like right. nah, not really but yeah, so I think it's, I think that's funny. It's like you guys, you know, and your and your AR-15s. It's like okay, you realize that even amongst people that have AR-15s, their AR-15s aren't even the same. You realize right. that, right? That they're not used for the same thing. They don't look the same. <laughs> like right. like the diversity in those alone is crazy. But you know, whatever. <laughs> sure. And you know, one of the one of the best conversations I've had around guns was a guy. He's a prolific novelist. You'd know his name if I said it, but I was at a Christmas party and I was talking with him and he said, um, he said, I got to tell you, I love my AR-15. I just don't want anyone else to be able to own one. (laughs) (laughs) And and, uh, we talked for like the next hour and I said, well, the same reason you love it is the same reason I love it and the same reason he loves it and the same reason... She loves it. And, you know, I appreciate your honesty, but frankly, uh, this is a big country. You know, we all have the right to keep and bear arms. It's like, I know, but that's what makes me nervous. And I'm like, well, you got to be a little bit more intellectually honest with yourself. 
And he yeah. came around at the end of the conversation. He's like, yeah, I can understand, but I'm still horrified that anyone can walk into a store and buy an AR-15. And I said, okay, to be continued, let's have this conversation next Christmas over the same, yeah. you know. It sounds to me like, you know, when I hear people say that, that my immediate thought, it was the very first thing when you started this that story, my immediate my mind immediately jumps to that person must not know very many people in the firearm community because there are there those outliers are there people that i i, I could lay awake at night and worry about because they're firearm owners <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's people there's a few people that are like that but by and large the vast majority of people i know that own firearms they're safe they're responsible they're good citizens uh, you don't have to worry about those people right you know but i can see i can see what he's saying on some level i get it <laughs> yeah and you're right he doesn't run in the the gun circles that yeah running you know what i mean yeah like yeah. he's not around it he's not immersed in it he's not at a gun club he's shooting on his property at his home and mm -hmm. that's about it you know yeah um, yeah. he's from academia, he's a professor and blah, blah, sure. blah. So yeah, yeah. He's, he's not immersed in the culture of, of firearms. So mm -hmm. therefore he's nervous about it. So and that's a shame. Maybe, yeah. maybe he inches that way eventually, you know, mm -hmm. like, you you know, love to have him in that tent that you're, yeah. uh, you know, that you're talking about. So, uh, yeah, Toby, thanks for, thanks for joining us. We got to, we've got to get out of here at this point. But, uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. It was a great conversation. Hopefully, folks out there learned a little bit about Kate Gunworks as well as uh, Rapid Fire Radio and the yeah. other stuff you guys are doing. And uh, I'm sure they'll see you more. We'll we'll probably, with uh, the network and other things, probably be some collab projects and some other things coming down the line before it's uh, before said and done. And and also before we get out of here and uh, and you uh, and you bail, thanks for, uh, you know, the, the help with the network and supporting the channel here and and uh you know the faith that you guys have put you're talking about the faith that you you had and the passion with cape gunworks and getting that started and and i believe it because i see that type of motivation with the rabbit fire network and how much you care about second amendment and the firearm community and the passion that you guys have for that so mm. uh hopefully that gets contagious amongst some other folks that are out there because if we had more industry related business owners like yourself um willing to to do what needs to be done uh man just what what could we do as far as the second amendment right with our community and and getting some of these bad regulations and legislations and other things flipped and overturned and and whatever so like i said before it takes it takes a village and but you increase that village one person at a time. So hopefully we'll eventually get there, right? Absolutely. Well, cool. thanks for thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. If anyone wants to check out our content, they can go to rapidfireradio.us and uh, be glad to show them what we do. That, that'll work. Thanks, uh, thanks again, Toby. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you, Chloe. Take care. And uh, yeah, with that, that, uh, that may be, this may end up being the longest podcast for this early 2023 season, but that's okay. Better to have that long conversation with Dan Toby. So uh, yeah, certainly get over there. There'll be some links below uh, to Rapid Fire Radio, 
uh, potentially Cape Gunworks, depending on where you're watching, listening, that sort of thing. You're highly encouraged to check those out. Uh, want to real quick just say thanks to the Patreon patrons again, the YouTube channel members, uh, all those great folks. Thanks to MTM Case Guard. That's mtmcase-guard.com or powering the uh, podcast this season. And if you get over there and you get to looking and diving down that rabbit hole of all kinds of cool gear, uh, just keep in mind, you can save 10% with code CloverTax should you uh, decide to make a purchase over there. That's going to um, do it for this one and also the podcast this week. Now, keep in mind, next week, uh, toward the end of next week and next weekend, will be the NRA annual meeting in Indianapolis up in Indy. And so if you're up that way, if you're attending, hey, uh, hopefully we'll uh, meet up. We'll cross paths. We'll see you there if we do, definitely. Make sure that you that you say hey. Uh, but because of that, going to be traveling. I think we leave out maybe Wednesday, uh, headed that way, driving, of course, like we always do to make the shows. And so um, there will be no podcast next week, but we'll pick everything back up for the 2023 season uh, week after next. So uh, won't be anything next week for the next couple of weeks, and especially this weekend, everybody. Uh, take care, be good, and uh, don't forget to chain fire freedom. We appreciate the Patreon patrons and YouTube channel members who keep these podcasts going. If you're looking for cool stickers, patches, and other gear, be sure to check out CloverTac.com. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the CloverTac Podcast. <laughs>